Following an eternity as an engineer, a square peg in a round hole of commerce and industry, Dr. Colin Hayes transmogrified and found his inner scientist. He is a keen supporter of artificial general intelligence, which ironically asks machines to solve more specific problems than plain old artificial intelligence. Like how to win a chess, how to listen to something, and how to find out where old socks go. <laughs> Colin. I've got a bunch of reading to do, so I'm going to need this up a bit. I'm going to need these. Okay, um, isn't this a cool way to do stuff with science? It's amazing. Okay, the world's roughly 1,700 million working scientists and engineers would likely never notice that the, the sudden disappearance of the entire history and philosophy of science and the rest of philosophy, for that matter. Sounds a bit cruel, but there you go. And the world will be pretty much identically full of the same science and technology. Why? Because none of it really matters in daily practice. History and philosophy of science, well, so much literature, it's huge, and so little impact. What is with that? Well, I want to talk about Thomas Kuhn. Now, can I have a show of hands as to anyone who's heard of Thomas Kuhn? Not people who I've told about. <laughs> Over there, back off. Two... Yeah, that's about right. Amazing. Now, this guy was actually a physicist. And he's unusual in that he ended up spending his whole life as a historian of science and a philosopher of science. Now, Thomas Kuhn answered the question I just asked in a way that is really important for scientists, if they're to know themselves. <clears throat> and he put the answer right there in the very literature category where no scientist will ever see it. And most don't. Uh, welcome to the paradoxical history of Thomas Kuhn. Born in 1922, American, Kuhn trained as a physicist to doctoral level. And early in his career, he was attracted to life as a historian of science and a philosopher, although he never formally trained in either. Um, Kuhn wasn't a particularly prolific writer. Uh, but at, at midlife crisis age, around 40, he wrote the work that dominated the rest of his career until his death in 1996. He was the guy that created the term paradigm shift, who you must, you must have heard paradigm shift, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, the book is a masterpiece. I've got it over in my bag if anyone wants to have a look. It's called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. If you can get past the he, him, his, man, men, genderization in the thing, um, it's, uh, it's, the book's is poetry. Uh, he's a master of the pithy aphorism. I read it I, 10 times and I read as many different books. Um, that's because I'm thick. No, that's because each reading changed me a bit and a different column picked it up each time. Trained to rely on measurement, Kuhn measured 2,000 years of uh, science history and wrote about what it told him. The book is a mirror written by a scientist about scientists for the scientist that dares to look. And paradoxically, his book triggered a paradigm shift in the self-conception of scientists. So how did Kuhn orchestrate his own um, paradigm shift? Uh, it's pretty wicked. 
Do you know what a Trojan horse paper is? You, probably a lot of people in this room do. Let's say you are Kuhn and you have a novel scientific thought, God help you, that rings embarrassingly accurately and uh, it doesn't look like what the paradigm expects. It'll never get published. What do you do? You know you're right, but all those chest-thumping, knuckle-dragging alpha eminences in the journal system will not let it through. So, I know, Kuhn says, I'm going to slip it into the encyclopedia of indescribable obscurity, which is what he did. Uh, and he thought, encyclopedias need words, and I've got lots of words, and my work is no less right because it's in there. And he said, it will be found, and it was. In this very way, Kuhn Trojan horsed the whole of science, every bit of it, not just a tiny little subdiscipline, the whole lot, which is pretty cool. So what were the reactions from philosophers? I'm going to get into the detail of what all this, this stuff that he said is in a minute. He said, well, philosopher reactions were, were like, um, oh, my God, he used the word paradigm in 21 different ways. <laughs> or it's relativism and therefore the work of the devil. <laughs> mean, meanwhile, scientists were like, no, I'm a warrior against the great unknown, not finding rocks engraved with fundamental truth. And... Other scientists were like, oh, yeah, I don't like it, but nailed it. <laughs> so you've got to like Thomas Kuhn. He managed to be right and piss off absolutely everybody. <laughs> so in the 50 years since, since 1962, so 50th anniversary last year, um, the, the uh, history of philosophy machines largely seen Kuhn absorbed into the background. Um, Meanwhile, in science itself, modern communications and multidisciplinarity has changed the dynamics of discovery, yet Kuhn's observations still apply and arguments are about matters of degree and perspective, not a basic kind. So, Kuhn was ahead of his time and that time is pretty much now. Just over uh, 50 years ago, he painted a neuroevolutionary account of scientific behaviour, now borne out by empirical neuroscience. The scary science name for it is punctuated equilibrium. Okay, so like earthquakes, lots of little ones, fewer big ones. Shifts in scientific thinking arise in speaking technically really, really, really complicated brain dynamics. Kuhn intuited the deep relationship between scientific behaviour, brain dynamics and the role of experience and perception in science. So what did he show us in this mirror? Yes. Uh, First thing he said was, we're all puzzle solvers. Puzzle solvers, yes, during what he called normal science, the equilibrium part of the story, we're mopping up the remnants of a pile of unsolved puzzles. Puzzles have known answers. The pile of puzzles is of normal science, and the kinds of solution they have are found in an unwritten community agreement called the paradigm. It's implicit in behavior. So puzzle solvers, a recent example, okay, Higgs boson. It's both the name of our cat, but probably slightly more importantly, <laughs> uh, it's a particle in the standard model of particle physics. This model sits at the heart of the mother of all current paradigms. It makes stuff stuff by giving it mass, okay? So look what we scientists did last year. We made Higgs bosons. Yay, go us! <laughs> okay? The Higgs boson has been expected for half a century or thereabouts. We solved the puzzle of building a machine big enough to empirically support a 50-year-old expectation of the paradigm. We take on problems like this, this is what Kuhn was saying, 
that have an answer we already know and for which the only obstacle is our own uh, ingenuity or lack of it. That's us, according to Kuhn, moppers up, puzzle solvers, normal science, science of the paradigm. Well, not quite. What about the punctuation part of a punctuated equilibrium? While we scientists are happy in our little paradigmatic bubble, the natural world being strangely unconcerned with our preferences, is not obliged to cooperate and in the end, inevitably, the paradigm fails. Intractable anomaly leads to a period of crisis from which a new paradigm arises and supplants the old. Time after time after time, Kuhn showed this in the historical record. But this pattern of paradigm crisis and renewal is not what scientists think they do. This is because from within, on the generational timescales of the paradigm, it looks like the science is cumulative, well-oiled, and you're all in a scientific novelty-seeking engine. But the last thing scientists want to challenge is the paradigm. and they, they do not want to challenge the paradigm with novelty. What we're actually doing, Kuhn said, is shoehorning expected novelty into the framework of the current paradigm. Trained within the paradigm, we scientists wear it like comfortable shoes without thinking, <clears throat> like we drive without thinking. Tennis players assume muscles and tendons and are tennising. Scientists assume the paradigm and are sciencing. So here's a way to view the scientific paradigm. Cliched, but if you'll indulge me, you've all heard it before, but anyway. An old fish swims past two young fish and asks, how's the water? After the old fish is gone, one young fish turns to the other and says, what's water? So Kuhn tells us that to do scientific training is in effect to drink paradigm water until we no longer know it is there and we're all addicted to it. Stability, accuracy, born of the paradigm, frees us from the distractions of speculative theory and wayward measurement. We can concentrate on wringing every last drop from the, um, of, uh, out of the paradigm and let the paradigm's evidence speak, speak its story from the paradigm's lectern. So what do we get for our troubles? Well, we get a science machine exquisitely tuned to detect when something has gone seriously wrong with the paradigm. And we pay for it, though. We pay for it. Well, we all know the blank, staring deafness of scientific dogma. Textbooks. Don't get me started on textbooks, says Kuhn. Textbooks are systematically written and rewritten to deliberately hide the existence, role, and significance of scientific revolutions. History blinded, the novice is free to fill in the gaps and imagine their own version of how the paradigm arose. Each novice ends up belonging to a fabricated tra tradition with an ad hoc sense of the paradigm's origins and the greater picture of all possible paradigms. Try selling a law of nature to a scientist by lacing it with history. The BS detector will go off. I actually bought one of those. It goes something like, bah, 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 warning, bullshit has been detected. If the authority of a law of nature rests on an anecdote or disappears with its author, then we've almost a definition of non-science or pseudoscience. History deletion and history blindness is actually part of the process of objectivity. We do it innately and we don't even realise we do it, until Kuhn that is. Kuhn also demonstrated how different science paradigms could produce science outcomes apparently at odds with each other and yet still be claimed to be science. The incommensurability of the paradigms, it was loftily called, and it caused no end of fuss at the time. Case in point, if you look through a 2,000-year-old telescope at what Aristotle did as science, the guy looks like a complete twat. You've got to admit, it's just amazing. 
everything naturally heads towards the center of the earth. Flies have eight legs. The brain is a blood cooling device and women have fewer teeth than men. Now, what is that about? Kuhn showed us that despite this apparent idiocy, Aristotle was a scientist par excellence with the same set of basic commitments as any scientist of today. He did this by showing that these things made perfect sense of problems that mattered to an ancient community when viewed in context with their tools, language and worldview. Kuhn recognised in exactly the manner of gestalt illusions, the world of paradigm A and the world of paradigm B are literally perceived differently by the scientists involved in each. Like the duck-rabbit illusion, Aristotle's duck was Galileo's rabbit. Aristotle saw a falling constrained rock and Galileo saw a pendulum. Each was a scientist and each was right, but they were right in two different worlds. Now bring that back to the here and now. Here, you and I, scientists, sit trading war stories within a paradigm that we must admit we don't know we're in. We see rabbit everywhere and we have no clue that a future paradigm will see duck and wonder how we could be so blind to the obvious. Think about it. What would it be like to see that future duck for the first time? I was waiting for my sound effects person over there. <laughs> it seems... <laughs> I have words with you later. It seems there's no place for the misty-eyed sense of the science warrior against the unknown in this world, mostly, but there comes a time, the moment, when anomaly leads to crisis and the wings fall off the paradigm. It completely fails to account for some new evidence. And there it goes, bang. We scientists, born weaned on paradigm water, have received no training in how to do, how to handle a paradigm collapse. Completely unprepared for the paradigm failure we are, says Kuhn, sounding strangely like Yoda. <laughs> Kuhn observed that the most gifted theoreticians and empiricists of the paradigm are floundering, blathering amateurs when it comes time to articulate the very paradigm they inhabit, let alone shift it. So what do we do in crisis? It's a bit embarrassing, this. says, we divvy up into cliques and we jump onto bandwagons. We become groupies and fashion slaves. The nerds terrorise the journal system Nazis in critical wars of the kind, my paradigm's better than your paradigm. <laughs> nye, nye, nye. Converts are traded and hostages are exchanged and it can take decades. But eventually the glimmer of a new paradigm is, is detected and then the new paradigm itself conducts the funeral of the old and the recruitment of converts to the new takes more than mere brute logic. Enrolment in the new paradigm is a leap of faith, a bungee jump into a new realm in which the, old, uh, the offending anomaly is gone, but its solution is merely the wrapper on a big box of unknowns of the new paradigm. Eventually, say for a few diehards who exit science by science itself changing to exclude them, the new paradigm settles in. Its members distill its waters and rewrite its textbooks, and it's their job to send a whole new generation of novices to sleep in the new paradigm to do their puzzle-solving mop-up duty. And so the pattern continues. No single scientist or group of scientists chose this state of affairs. It's built into the hardware and it's been uh, tuned to perfection implicitly over hundreds of thousands of years. This is us. This is the image in the mirror Kuhn held up for us to see in 1962. And nothing has changed uh, in this basic reality that Kuhn measured. So let's raise a glass of Kuhnian paradigm water. 
It's mopping up, puzzle-solving its strengths, dogma and invisible fatal cracks. For we are all immersed in it and do not know it, but thanks to Kuhn, we can know if we choose to. You may now forget everything I just said and leave Kuhn lost on Dewey 501 on the library shelf for It Won't Matter. And that's what Kuhn did for us in 1962. Thank you.